Welcome back to Sports Touch with D-Crom, ladies and gentlemen. I am your host, David Cromolo. By this weekend, all 32 NFL teams will be banging pads in training camp. And in that spirit, we bring you the third edition of our 2019 NFL Division by Division preview series, which will take us through the intriguing AFC West. What makes this division very intriguing is that arguably two of the top five teams in the NFL, the Chiefs and Chargers respectively, resided it. And two teams currently undergoing some degree of a massive roster makeover, the Broncos and the Raiders, reside in it too. Joining us to preview those four teams is our good friend Nick Kendall, Broncos and NFL Draft Analyst for MileHighHuddle.com. Welcome back to the show, Nick. How are you doing? Hey, doing pretty well. I am. We're not officially sponsored here, but I'm drinking a pseudo-sue from Top Link Goliath right now, a dry hop, so enjoying life. The weather is pretty nice. It's dropped down after the dreadful heat wave that we've had here in the Midwest, and football's back, so can't complain. College is coming down the track, and the Broncos are in practice, so just uh, loving life right now. I'm loving life as well, Nick. Glad to hear it. And by the way, congratulations, Nick. You are about to tie the knot in just a couple months. We are very happy for you. Hey, thank you very much. Yeah, no, can't wait to do that. You know, it's a Luckily, I got an incredible fiance, so she's been taking care of a lot of this stuff, and we're going to get married out in Estes coming up, so, you know, a lot, a lot of good things on the horizon. That is wonderful to hear, and let's start with the Raiders. And last season, the Raiders' offense was pretty much unwatchable even before they traded Amari Cooper to the Cowboys. And now, they have Antonio Brown, arguably the best wide receiver of the decade, whom they acquired in a trade from the Steelers. And they also signed Tyrell Williams, an extremely underrated vertical receiving threat, and they also drafted Josh Jacobs with one of their three first-round picks, a multi-dimensional running back from Alabama. However, if these new weapons are to take the league by storm and the Raiders are going to surprise some people this year, Derek Carr must play like he did in 2015 and his MVP caliber 2016 season as opposed to how he has performed the previous two seasons. This is likely Carr's final chance to cement himself as the Raiders' franchise quarterback as the team could save $16.5 million by releasing him after this season. Do you think Derek Carr is still capable of being that quarterback we saw in 2016, or are his best days behind him? Well, he's still pretty young, so I, you know, I don't want to say anything's out of the realm of possibility for him. You know, they got Antonio Brown, like you said. Tyrell Williams is a good get. They have the speedster like J.J. Nelson and a pure slot guy like Hunter Renfro. They did downgrade at the tight end position. You know, they they lost uh, Cook. They have a guy named Darren Waller there now. Maybe a Derek Carrier, maybe a Foster Moreau, one of my favorite uh, draft tight ends in the fourth round, kind of a mid-round guy, steps up. But I do think that this is an offense that is on the rise. But for me, the big thing that with watching Derek Carr, he can be good, but he's been a little bit timid since his injury. And I'm not sure if this offensive line is going to be able to be consistent enough to let him take advantage of some of these weapons that they have. You know, the left side, Colton Miller was one of the worst tackles in football last season, despite his early draft status. Richie Incognito, I mean, he's got some, let's be honest, I mean, he has some mental ups and downs, some issues, I'd say, and he hasn't been in the league for a bit. I do like Rodney Hudson a lot, and Gabe Jackson was pretty good, although I feel like he's kind of regressed a bit, and they spent a lot a lot of money on Trent Brown, now the highest paid right tackle in football. So I think it'll really depend on this offensive line, if they can protect Carr and make him comfortable, and then he can kind of get in a groove. But no doubt in my mind that they've upgraded the weapons around him, despite the step back at a tight end. 
And let's move on to our Raiders fantasy focus here. Antonio Brown may be getting a gold jacket one day, but from a fantasy perspective this season, I'm a bit hesitant to buy him because he gets a steep downgrade at quarterback going from Roethlisberger to Carr. And according to Fantasy Football Calculator, Brown's current ADP is the ninth pick of the second round. Is Antonio Brown still a lock for a 1,200-plus receiving yard season with double-digit touchdowns as a Raider? I would say not. I mean, a big thing of Antonio Brown's game, not that he isn't incredible. I mean, one of the best wide receivers in the last decade, like you said, on his way to Canton, if everything continues as such. But I feel like, and I've read as such, that Ben Roethlisberger and Antonio Brown's career a lot of what they've done recently granted the offensive system has helped a lot but they did have a lot of options routes and chemistry and i'm not sure they're going to antonio brown's going to have that same level of you know breaking off from the play and the guys reading the same thing at the same time that kind of connection that he had with roethlisberger right away with Derek carr maybe never a little bit more stringent in the offensive scheming with a guy like in in gruden system so i think that's probably about where you'd expect him Overall, that being said, this Raiders defense is still pretty poor. So I could see Antonio Brown having a good fantasy year just because the Raiders are asking to go to the air a lot because they're trying to play keep up. And based on what you said about Brown not being a lock for those kinds of numbers, though, would you put wide receivers with slightly lower ADPs like Tyreek Hill and Mike Evans ahead of him on your fantasy draft board? I personally would. Tyreek Hill, for personal reasons, I might be avoiding him in the draft. But if you're looking at a guy like Mike Evans, I mean, you're getting that Bruce Arians offense and Jameis Winston who likes to toss it up there. I think Mike Evans is in for a gigantic year. And also you got the touchdown numbers with him as well. And Tyreek Hill, I mean, he Patrick Mahomes is obviously the, the guy that really makes that offense tick. But the reason he's able to air it out like he can is because of Tyreek Hill. So I'd probably personally in both of those guys over the likes of Antonio Brown going into the season if no suspensions, no suspensions or anything crop up. We are in agreement there. And moving on to the Raiders' defense, and after trading away Khalil Mack and getting fleeced in doing so, dare I say, the Raiders' pass rush was almost lifeless as they registered a league low 13 sacks last season. And that's why they used their first of three first-round picks on a pass rusher in Cleveland Farrell out of Clemson. However, the selection of Farrell was thought of as a reach by many, especially since there were better options on the board in Josh Allen and Ed Oliver. And I understand GM Mike Mayock wanted to make a statement about character in the pick, but with questionable pieces around Farrell on that defensive line, how much does he alone improve that anemic pass rush? He should help a bit, but I'm not expecting, you know, like last year with a guy like Bradley Chubb, you know, coming in. I'm not expecting that kind of year for the Raiders with, you know, a guy like Clone Farrell. But they do have a solid defensive line. I think if anything, that's what I would say positive about this Raiders defense. I mean, Jonathan Hankins was a guy that the Broncos were interested in. The Raiders snapped him up before he could uh, be available. They have Maurice Hurst and P.J. Hall, two draft picks last year that they liked a lot. And then you got a guy like Colin Farrell, Arden Key, Max Crosby. So I, I do think that this defensive line, Eddie Vanderdose is still down there as well. So I do like this defensive line a decent amount. I don't see any true obvious difference makers there. You know, guys that are on their way to the Pro Bowl this season but I think they're pretty solid across the board in that front four. And it will be very interesting to see how they grow, especially Maurice Hurst, who I'm uh, rooting for to succeed because of that heart condition that dropped him uh, very far down that draft board uh, in 2018. And moving on to your favorite team and my favorite team, the Denver Broncos. And for third time in four seasons, there's a new starting quarterback in Denver. 
And with the Ravens eager to begin the Lamar Jackson era, the Broncos pounced and traded for his predecessor and Super Bowl 47 MVP Joe Flacco. While many, including you, believe Joe Flacco is an upgrade from Case Keenum, Flacco's stats last year weren't that much different from Keenum's, and Flacco has been at the bottom of the league in overall QBR for the past few seasons. And for what it's worth, Flacco and the Broncos' offense have had a very sluggish start to training camp. But based on the tape alone, why is Joe Flacco an upgrade over Case Keenum? Well, I think he is much more capable of making the necessary throws to open up a passing playbook in today's NFL, and he can better take care of the weapons, You know, whether it be over the middle of the field, an area where Keenum really struggled, or specifically in the red zone in third down where Joe Flacco was doing really good last year until he got injured, where Case Keenum, specifically in the red zone, was, I believe, the worst quarterback in the NFL last year when it came to his efficiency and numbers in the red zone. So that alone should they be able to maybe add, you know, four to seven points a game for the Broncos different uh, difference-wise. My biggest concern probably with Flacco, though, is he is probably one of the more statuesque quarterbacks in the league. I know they've been pushing this narrative where Flacco's a better athlete than many people think he is, and that may very well be the case. But I think compared to many of these younger athletic quarterbacks that are in the league right now, Flacco's still a guy who's very much dependent, at least on the tape I've seen, very much dependent on his offensive line. I mean, there's a lot to be said with how the Raiders have tried to build the teams around him. You know, they haven't, there's a lot, they've constantly said, you know, Flacco hasn't had the weapons at the Ravens that he might have in Denver. While this is true, they've spent a lot more in developing and done pretty well in developing offensive lines to protect Flacco and defenses on the other side of the ball, obviously, as well. So I, I am a little bit worried about Flacco just because he is a very offensive line dependent quarterback. And, you know, they've been pushing this narrative already in camp. You know, Flacco looks great when he has time. He's making the right reads and making the throws when he has time. So that there's something to be said there. You know, the people will blame the offensive line, but that's also part of the quarterback as well, you know, how offensive line dependent you are. And I think Flacco, whether, you know, right or wrong, he's going to be a guy who's going to be married to how good this offensive line can be this year. Yes, and a lot of Broncos fans, uh, when Mike Munchak was here as their offensive line coach, understandably so, were uh, giddy, uh, saying, oh, the offensive line is going to be magically turned around because of Munchak. Uh, but coaches will be first to tell you they're only as good as their players are, and uh, the Broncos' current players on the offensive line, despite some promising pieces, are very unproven. Yeah, very unproven. I mean, a lot of these guys on this offensive side of the ball are unproven. We're talking about the offensive coordinator, a lot of new pieces in the offense. So not only are they unproven, that's a big reason that you see these, these uh, national predictors quite well in the Broncos. I mean, that many variables adds risk. So why would you go hard on that? So that's, that's a big thing. And it might take some time as well. I mean, great example is even with how good the Broncos were with Peyton Manning, it took about five and a half weeks before things really started to click. So I'm not shocked by the offense struggling right now, especially the pieces they have on defense, the more veteran defense as well. But uh, this offense is uh, it's still going to be a concern this year. And with the offensive line, it's not to be a super you know big cliche guy, but Rome wasn't built in a day. It's going to take time to develop this offensive line, not only from a you know personnel perspective or a technique perspective, but chemistry as well. So it's it might not happen, you know, the first even even through the first four weeks of the season, even maybe. The whole season, you know, it could take time. So that's something that you need to be prepared for. Still, Mike Munchak's resume speaks for himself, so I'm not too worried, but it might not be this year. 
Very good point, Stick. And let's go to the Broncos fantasy focus. And if there are players that have fantasy value for the Broncos this year, it is in the backfield. And after Philip Lindsay's historic rookie campaign for an undrafted free agent, the first ever undrafted free agent to make the Pro Bowl, by the way, his current average draft position of the eighth pick in the fourth round is very understandable. However, given Lindsay's petitish size, the Broncos want to scale back his touches this season. And for your information, Lindsay averaged slightly more than 15 totes per game in 2018. And as NFL insider and friend of the pod, Benjamin Albright, recently reported, the plan is to only give Philip Lindsay 50% of the touches and Royce Freeman around 40%. That said, new offensive coordinator Rich Scangarello plans to utilize Lindsay a lot more in the passing game this season, which could make Lindsay even more efficient. All things considered, would you take Philip Lindsay at his current ADP, or would you rather pass to take Royce Freeman at his current ADP of the third pick of the eighth round, which is four rounds later than where Philip Lindsay is going? Ooh, man, that's a really tough question. Honestly, it's unfair, but I'd like to see what they look like in this offense first because they're talking about Philip Lindsay being integrated into this pass game, and that, for me, is the thing that is going to make or break his season. So at least from a fantasy perspective, if he can really be integrated in this passing scheme, you know, kind of like Tevin Coleman and Devontae Freeman were with Kyle Shanahan, that's something that could really increase his value. Right now, I think probably the safer bet, though, is to go with Royce Freeman just because I think the volume is going to be close. But watching Lindsey and seeing how he can be integrated into the pass game, I think is probably one of the, the bigger storylines here. Yes, and especially uh, considering the fact that Freeman is expected to dominate the touches in the red zone and goal line situations uh, is a yeah. reason why to uh, wait and take Royce Freeman later as a bargain pick in your drafts. And uh, what excites me more about the Broncos this year than the past three seasons combined is the presence of new head coach Vic Fangio, one of the NFL's best defensive minds. And last season, despite excellent performances from Von Miller and Bradley Chubb, the Broncos' defense took a statistical dive, particularly against the past. The no-fly zone became the go-fly zone, as the Broncos only had the league's 20th-ranked pass defense. And Fangio has an extraordinary track record when it comes to secondaries, most recently in Chicago, where he helped Kyle Fuller and Eddie Jackson become all-pro and or Pro Bowl talents, and Adrian Amos land a lucrative deal in free agency. In the offseason, the Broncos brought in both Bryce Callahan and Kareem Jackson. Callahan, who knows Fangio from their days in Chicago together, and Callahan and Kareem Jackson were among the 10 to 15 highest graded corners according to Pro Football Focus last season. And also, Fangio's scheme is a far, far, far better fit for the Broncos' promising young safeties Justin Simmons and Will Parks than Joe Wood's scheme was. And if Bryce Callahan and Kareem Jackson are as good as advertised, and Simmons and Parks have the breakout seasons I personally expect them to have, will it surprise you if the Broncos rank the top 10 in pass defense, let alone the top 5? It's definitely possible. I need to see what these linebackers look like, but I could really see this offense, the defense, excuse me, turning around a lot in the past game. And the thing that I'm probably most excited about with that is that I think they're going to turn the ball over at a high rate. You know, that's been a staple of all these Fangio defenses, and I think that's becoming a bigger and bigger point of defenses across the entire NFL. You know, points and scoring is at an all-time high in the NFL, despite what the Super Bowl showed. And I think that getting a defense that not only, you know, you want to get off the field on third down, you want to be, you want to bend but don't break, you know, keep teams from getting in the end zone in the red zone. But I think these turnovers are going to be massive for the Broncos. And that's something that, you know, the improved pass defense is going to be there. I think the defense is going to get a boost, but the amount of turnovers that they're going to get is got me really excited. 
Oh, you're making my mouth water, Nick. <laughs> I better uh, uh, eat some dinner after this. Uh, you're making my mouth water so much. And moving <laughs> on to the uh, Los Angeles Chargers. And when you look at the Chargers, you're talking about one of the most complete rosters in football. It is very, very hard to find a glaring weakness on this team. Can you find such a weakness? Offensive line. It's got to be the offensive line. You know, they they have a really – and Mel, Melvin Gordon, if he's out too, that's a whole different conversation. I'm, I'm guessing you want to talk about that. But looking at this as just from roster structure right now, this team, again, it's, it'll go as the offensive line goes. I am actually a pretty decent fan of Russell Okung. I think that he was scapegoated for a very poor offensive system, quarterback, and other offensive linemen around him the, the season he was in Denver. And he is, I would say, far and away their best offensive lineman there. But Dan Feeney's been a real disappointment. Forrest Lamp's been a disappointment. You get the right tackle, Sam Tevy. They drafted Trey Pipkins third round, but I don't think you'll see him year one. Mike Pouncey is solid, but this offensive line, especially with an aging quarterback, that is probably my biggest concern. And if if there's anything to hold the Chargers back this season, it's probably that offensive line. You could make an argument also for the, the linebacker position, but I think the most glaring thing is the offensive line. Other than that, though, really good team. You got a very probable Hall of Fame quarterback, one of the best in the last 15 years. I really like their wide receiver uh, trio here and Travis Benjamin, Keenan Allen, and Mike Williams, who I think is an emerging star. We'll probably talk about him coming up here with the fantasy stuff. And then Hunter Henry's going to come back and pairs really nicely with uh, Virgil Green. And then probably my favorite defense in the NFL this season, Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram make an easily a top three edge duo in the NFL. They brought in Jerry Tillery. Brandon Meebane's a solid nose tackle there. Justin Jones they brought on the third round last year. And then the secondary, Casey Hayward, Derwin James, and Desmond King probably make the best trio of defensive backs in the NFL this season. So Chargers are a really good team. They aren't the, the firepower the Chiefs have. But, man, any, almost any other division, you pick these guys as the winners. Unfortunately, they're in a division with another great team. And the AFC West, I think, has two of the top three teams in the AFC this entire season. Oh, you said it. And very good point about Rivers at the offensive line. And uh, very similar to Flacco, Rivers is one of the more statuesque quarterbacks in this league. And if he uh, gets hit at a higher rate this season, and given his age, that could be a big problem. He does get the ball out quicker, typically, than Joe Flacco does. You know, that, that helps. Least, that does help a lot. And, you know, they talk about the mental game. He is, obviously, he's not Peyton Manning, but as far as that point, Joe Flacco, you know, he's making the right reads, but he doesn't have the the processing ability that we've seen from Rivers in his career either. So that's something to watch, but I I do worry about it. I mean, he is an older quarterback, and just kind of something also with Drew Brees that we've seen recently that kind of look like they're fading just a little bit as the season goes on. And you got to wonder, man, is that father time ticking on his shoulder? So I worry about the offensive line with Rivers, but I think he is less dependent on the offensive line than Joe Flacco is just because of the the quick release and the history of how good of a a quick processor he can be. Very, very good point. And let's move on to our Chargers fantasy focus. And you mentioned Hunter Henry. And if his health holds up, how likely is it that Hunter Henry, who is currently being drafted at the beginning of the sixth round, will total 50 or more receptions for 800 or more yards and six or more touchdowns in 2019? Oh, man. Well, they did uh, lose Tyrell Williams, so they're going to be looking for that kind of guy. And we know how Phillip Rivers loves to utilize that tight end. I mean, him and Antonio Gates are probably the best quarterback tight end duo in the history of the game. So 
I think the the volume is going to be there, but I do want to see how Henry Hunter Henry will be coming back off off of the the injury that he had last season. Despite what uh, Stephen A. Smith says with how good he's been last year, you know he's, he is coming off that injury. So I want to see it, but in this offense with the guys around him, and maybe even you know Melvin Gordon might be out. If Melvin Gordon is out, I'm buying on Hunter Henry. If Melvin Gordon's in, I I could see it going either way, just because I could see them in a passing game eating into each other as far as the what's what's allowed in the offensive system. But I mean, Hunter Henry's a great great tight end, and not only is he a good receiver though, he's also a really solid uh, blocker as well. So really good two way tight end. And that's important. Since he's a two-way tight end, he is going to be constantly on the field, and he should get a lot of opportunities, health permitting. And let's yeah. talk about that Chargers defense, who you say is your favorite defense uh, in the uh, National Football League. I absolutely loved what the Chargers did in the first two rounds of the 2019 NFL Draft. And as good as that defense has been the past few seasons, I personally think it can only get better. And they arguably put the defense to, on track to do just that by selecting Notre Dame defensive tackle Jerry Tillery, who you mentioned in the first round, and Delaware safety Nasir Adderley in the second round. And by the way, you could catch my interview with Nasir Adderley at the Senior Bowl by visiting sportscrunch.com right now. How do those two rookies make this insanely talented defense even better? Well, Tillery rushing the passer between when he was healthy, he was really dynamic. I don't think he is Chris Jones, but he's got the ability to get for the passer. And playing between guys like Ingram and Bosa, I mean, that's you're going to get one-on-ones. So that's going to be big for you. And then Nasir Adderley, I think he complements a guy like Derwin James, who might be my favorite back seven player in the entire NFL, really well. You know, Derwin James, more of the, I wouldn't call him a box safety, so to speak, but you got a guy like Adderley who's more of the, the true back-end safety. You can come down and play some nickel as well. That is going to... I mean, they complement each other great. Derwin's the more physical guy, the bigger guy, you know, more take on the tight ends, can play in the run support blitz, or Adderley can play more of that cover one or cover three free safety role or come down and match up as well. So you put those guys, along with having Casey Hayward and a guy like Desmond King, who might be the best, I mean, no offense to Chris Harris Jr. or Bryce Callahan, if there's any other guy who's pushing for that best, nickelback role it's got to be Desmond King so the, the cornerback opposite them has got to step up you know right now it's Trevor Williams could be a guy like Michael Davis Brandon Facey on the drafted a few years ago so they could do need another cornerback to step up next to those guys but man that's a, that's a pretty darn good defense I do worry about the linebackers but I think that is less and less of an issue as we are evolving in the NFL to have more and more wide receivers and the quicking pass game quicker pass game taking over Lots of talented people in that Chargers defensive backfield indeed, Nick. And now let's move on to the reigning division champion Kansas City Chiefs. And for a significant part of the offseason, it looked like Tyree Kill's days with the Chiefs were numbered. Heck, the Chiefs initially thought so, which is why they drafted super speedy Georgia wide receiver Miko Hardman. And once that pick was made, Twitter, you know, immediately crowned him as Tyree Kill's successor. But however... That all turned out to be far too premature as the NFL determined it could not find enough evidence to suspend Hill for the alleged abuse of his son. And while that legal process was sorting itself out, Hardman was standing out during Chiefs OTAs. And now with him and Tyreek Hill in the fold, is the Chiefs high-flying offense going to be even more difficult to defend than it was last year? I think that it is a possibility that this this, uh, offense could be even harder to defend this year. I mean, you got Tyree Kill, you got Nicole Hardman, you got Sammy Watkins, and the the underrated Demarcus Robinson as well. They did lose Chris Conley, but I mean, they have weapons here in the past game, so they're going to be an issue. And obviously, you got Travis Kelsey, who is a really good 
tight end as well. And I think Damian Williams and Carlos Hyde together make a pretty darn good combo at the running back position. Offensive line has got to stay healthy. They have one of the best right tackles in football and Mitchell Schwartz. I really like Laurent Duvernay Tardif, MD, <laughs> at right guard as well, but he's got to stay healthy. And we'll be it's it's really the center and the left guard, you know. They brought in Cameron Irving, the former first round pick from Cleveland. He did okay but not great. And their center position, I mean, Austin Ryder, Nick Allegretti, who's a seventh round pick that they're trying to get in there. That's a that is a little bit of concern. But really it comes down to they have one of the best young quarterbacks in football and they're still gonna be high flying next year. There's no doubt about it. They're gonna put up a lot of points. I do think, however, there is a possibility that they're gonna put up more turnovers this upcoming season as well. Last year, according to Football Outsiders, Patrick Mahomes was one of the, I hate to use the word luckiest, but as far as throwing interceptable balls that were not intercepted, he was one of the highest rates in the NFL. And according to their adjusted interceptions, him and Sam Darnold should have led the league in interceptions. So the, when you got a gunslinger like Patrick Mahomes out there looking for the big play, there's going to be times where he's going to put the ball into a spot where it's going to be a little dangerous. And that trend, maybe it'll hold true. Maybe he's just a guy because he throws it hard and puts him in those situations where he is on the, the the edge where his adjusted interceptions are higher than what he actually gets. But typically, you're going to see those guys swing back the other way. So offense is still going to put up more points. But looking at that trend, you, you do want to watch for Patrick Mahomes and his his turnovers this season because it does suggest that he will have a higher rate. Granted, he'll be a second year in this, third year in the system, second year starting. So he's he's just getting started, and he's going to be a, a really good quarterback for years to come. He most certainly is, and I'm very excited to see how he builds on that amazing uh, MVP debut season he had last year. And you mentioned Damian Williams and Carlos Side, which leads us to our Chiefs fantasy focus. Damian Williams is currently being drafted in the late second round, according to Fantasy Football Calculator. And Carlos Side, on the other hand, is being drafted at the end of round 11. Kind of a similar dilemma between Philip Lindsay and Royce Freeman. And while it may be tempting, a la Freeman Lindsay, to wait and buy Hyde later, renowned NFL analytics guru Warren Sharp tweeted out yesterday just how ineffective Carlos Hyde has been the past few seasons. In 2017, he averaged 3.9 yards per carry. And last season, he averaged only 3.4 yards per carry with Cleveland and 3.3 yards per carry with Jacksonville. Is the Chiefs' backfield a situation to avoid in fantasy, or will you be willing to take Damian Williams in round three or four? Oh, I would not take him that early. I know that it's kind of like when the Broncos had Peyton Manning that, you know, no Sean Moreno, not a great running back, but because he's a part of that offense, he is going to be effective and put out a lot of fantasy points. But I just feel like there's too much risk there. You know, there's too much uh, – it's too volatile, and you're not sure if Damian Williams is going to be the guy that holds that. It's a risk-reward thing. I do think that he is the guy to get over Carlos Hyde, obviously, but – you know, they brought in Darwin Thompson. Maybe he'll come out of nowhere. Darrell Williams. So I really want to follow that situation. High high risk, high reward with a guy like Damian Williams. And uh, Darwin Thompson was their sixth-round draft pick. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah, no, good athlete. You know, he's a smaller guy, but can really kind of hop back and forth pretty well. We'll see what he can do. They, I mean, they spent a draft pick on him, and he's a running back. So he'll, get, he'll probably get a chance to make the squad and do something. But... Uh, you know, got to prove those things that all rookie running backs got to do. Can he be effective in picking up blitzes to protect the quarterback? Can he play the special teams when he's needed to play it? And can he provide anything in the receiving game and, you know, making the right reads and everything? So we'll see, but he's definitely one to watch that could be a, a late round stash, you know? And if you don't draft him, maybe put that little flag on him where you're watching him because 
Damian Williams, undrafted free agent, he's a guy who could be replaced pretty quickly if he's ineffective. So we'll see. Fast guy means, again, high risk, high reward with a player like that. Thank you very much for all those scouting reports on those running backs, Nick. And uh, even though he's still going to be awesome, statistical regression for Patrick Mahomes is a virtual guarantee. He's definitely not going to throw for 50 touchdown passes again, and uh, he's likely to throw more interceptions based on the data you shared with us. Thus, the Chiefs' revamped defense is going to have to show quite a bit of improvement in order for the Chiefs to go to the Super Bowl and prevail there this season. And the pieces, in my opinion, are in place for such an improvement. To replace D. Ford with Frank Clark... Replace Eric Berry, whose best days are likely to be high with Tyron Matthew, who quietly had a very good season in Houston last year. Do you think Frank Clark is an upgrade from D. Ford and Tyron Matthew an upgrade from Eric Berry with Berry's recent health struggles factored in? If so, why? Or if not, why not? Oh, absolutely. I think Frank Clark is a much more dynamic pass rusher. He isn't the, I hate to say one-trick pony, but, you know, D. Ford's more of that slighter, kind of longer guy with wins with the, the shoulder dip and the finesse game where Clark can do a little bit of everything and really just a, a dynamic player. If he didn't have the off-field issues, I can't imagine why Seattle would look to get rid of him. You know, he does have some – he's had some dust-ups with the media. He had the issues at Michigan as well, but really an underrated pass rusher. And then you get a guy like Chris Jones inside who's one of the best emerging defensive tackles in football, and you got got quite the duo there. I also really like – Alex Okafor and Emmanuel Agba as well. So that's a that's a solid rotation of edge rushers. We'll see what Breland Speaks can do. Uh, Tano Passanio, they spent second-round picks two seasons in a row on kind of these bigger, tweener, edge rush slash defensive linemen. But they've spent a lot of coin and resources at these edge rushers to get immediate impact to go for these windows now. I do not love their linebackers. Reggie Ragland was solid last year, but people complain about a guy like Todd Davis being stiff and not in good in coverage. Reggie Ragland is a a dinosaur compared to that. Dorian O'Daniel developing. You know, we'll see what he can bring this season. Anthony Hitchens looks like he's been massively overpaid, which hurts me to say, being that he's an Iowa Hawkeye. I do like Rashad Breland. He's a solid player there. You know, they got Kendall Fuller, but it really does revolve around those safeties there for that back seven with Juwan Thornhill, second-round pick, good athlete. Made a lot of plays last year on that uh, Virginia defense, but probably the second-best player in that secondary behind Bryce Hall, who will be in this upcoming draft. And uh, Tyron Nathayu, really good player, uh, interesting player. We'll see if he can keep it up this season. You know, last season playing behind the likes of Benavarek McKinney, J.J. Watt, who had a bounce-back season, Jadavian Clowney, Whitney Merciless. You know, that's as good as this, as solid as this Chiefs pass rush can be up front with guys like Clark and Chris Jones. I don't think they're going to match what the Texans brought last year. And he doesn't have the pieces around him on the defense. You know, really solid guy like Kareem Jackson as well. So we'll see with Matteo, good player, maybe a little bit overpaid, but I'm, I'm excited to see this uh, safety duo in Thornhill and Matteo, and they could be one of the, the better ones in the league when it's all said and done. And I was going to ask you, uh, which of the Chiefs' early draft picks on defense uh, has the potential to contribute more this season, Juan Thornhill or the freakishly athletic Colin Saunders from Western Illinois? And I take it you think it's likely to be Thornhill? I think it's likely to be Thornhill. I think with the defensive lineman, especially a guy from Western Illinois, it's going to take them a little bit of time to adjust this game. You know, typically, with especially with trench guys, they haven't had the weight program, the strength and conditioning that some of these other guys have had, even in other college programs, especially NFL. And seeing what Thornhill did in college and his athletic testing and how this depth chart just stacks up as well, I think that Thornhill is probably the guy who's going to get the most play early on. Granted, he could be up and down. 
he is a rookie, but I've seen the versatility in that back end, the athleticism, where I think he's at least going to be a solid player, where Saunders is going to be competing with Tristan Nash with guys like David Williams, Chris Jones, and Derek Nottie. What do you think the ceiling is for this Chiefs defense this season statistically? Do they have the potential to be a top 15 total unit? Well, it depends by what measure you mean. Just if we're talking overall ranking, I think they could be average. But I think with how this Chiefs, let's, I mean, let's call it a Star Wars offense, is going to be putting up points, it's kind of like, I always try to bring these things back to college, but you see Ohio State historically have these great defenses year after year after year statistically. You know, obviously great talent at Ohio State. Playing in the Big Ten, they have pretty much an advantage almost every game but one every single year as when it comes to recruiting and the talent they have. However, you see this past year where Ohio State, finally Urban Meyer decides to kind of open it up and go with these these Star Wars kind of numbers, you know, throwing the ball a lot more, a lot more plays per game. And sure, Ohio State then starts to put up some serious pass numbers. I mean, Dwayne Haskins, second place for the Heisman. But the defense is going to be giving up more points. They're going to be on the field more. That's just the nature of kind of the how the defense and the offense kind of play into each other. So I think that they could be a, a middle-of-the-pack defense when it comes to the, the personnel, if you're actually ranking these guys based on the talent. But with how much the Chiefs are going to be putting up points, putting other teams to have to try to play catch-up or just playing with a lead from time to time, that can kind of change how you're, you're allowed to play the defense. And so that's, I think that's going to have a bigger impact on their statistical output than, and maybe make them look worse than they actually are on paper or as a Oh, that is a very, very good point again, Nick. And he is Nick Kendall, ladies and gentlemen, Broncos and NFL draft analyst for MileHighHuddle.com. You can follow him on Twitter at Nick Kendall, M-H-H. And Nick, thank you so much once again for joining us. But before we let you go, we'd like to play a little game called Truth or Exaggeration. And in this game, I just make a statement about one of the four teams, each of them, and uh, you tell me whether I'm telling the truth or whether it's an exaggeration. And we start with the Raiders. Josh Jacobs will total 1,800 or more yards from scrimmage and double-digit touchdowns this season. Ooh, I'm going to go fiction. I think the yardage is fine. I think that's possible, especially with his passing game proficiency. But 10 touchdowns, I think I think it's going to be less than that. Uh, very interesting there. I'll take your word for it. And after combining for 26 sacks last season, Von Miller and Bradley Chubb will combine for 34 sacks in 2019. I am going to sell that just because I feel like they were already pretty good last year. And that's, you know, that's them getting closer to, gosh, that's over 16 sacks for each of them. So I think that's probably, I'd love to see that happen, but I think that's probably a safer bet to say not going to happen. Moving to the Chargers, whether Melvin Gordon's holdout lasts into the regular season or not, Austin Eckler and Justin Jackson, who acquitted themselves very well the past couple seasons, will combine for a third of the totes in that backfield, if not more. Ooh. Uh, totally depends on if Gordon's going to be back. I'm going to go with. Hmm. I'm going to go fact. I think that. Uh, oh gosh, this has really put me on the spot. I'm going to go fact. I know Gordon's had some injury issues in the past, and with the whole contract thing, maybe it, he maybe he does pull hold out. I mean, we've heard what he said about Le'Veon Bell. You know, he thought that Le'Veon Bell did the right thing there by holding out. So I'm going to go fact. I think a third is possible, given the language, and he very well might set out. Oh, especially given the fact that the Chargers are entrenched in their position of not giving him an extension, especially considering the CBA is about to expire in a couple of years, plus the fact Gordon is a running back, the most replaceable position on the football field. 
Yeah. yeah. I mean, maybe besides like punter, but everything else. Yeah, I, I'm a. I'm with you 100. percent I think that that is something that is possible. You know, that's. A, I don't think I'd pay him, but I don't think I'd ever put my team in a position where I'm taking running back in the first round to have to pay them. So, I don't. I'd hopefully, if I was ever GM, would never be in that situation. I feel you, Nick. And last but not least with the Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes does experience the statistical regression, but only a slight one as he throws 45 to 48 touchdown passes. Ooh, I'm going to go sell. I think he's going to get 40 to 43, which is still, I mean, really good. But I think they're going to see a little bit of a, a dip this year. Maybe I'm just being optimistic, hoping for some regression there. But uh, I feel like that's probably the the safer bet. Nick Kendall, ladies and gentlemen, milehighhuddle.com, at Nick Kendall, MHH on Twitter. Thank you so much once again for joining us, and we hope to have you back on the program again very, very soon. Hey, thank you very much for having me. Always down to talk NFL, AFC West, Iowa Hawkeyes, NFL Draft, beer, politics. You hit me up, I will have an opinion. Sounds good, Nick, and that's it for today here on Sports Crunch. But we'll be back with more 2019 NFL Division by Division previews very soon, so stay tuned. In the meantime, be sure to check out the episode archive as well as my blog at sportscrunch.com. And remember, that is Crunch with a K. And if you enjoy these podcast episodes, please consider leaving us an iTunes review and donating to our Patreon at patreon.com slash sportscrunch so we can improve our iTunes ranking and afford to produce even more shows with awesome guests like Nick. You can also follow me on Instagram and Twitter at dcrom 59 For Nick Kendall, this is David Cromwell saying so long, and as usual, stay awesome.